Well, hey, um, when's the last time you were lost uh, and got found? When's the last time that you were lost, got found? Thankfully, we have Find My Friends, so I know it doesn't happen a ton nowadays. But um, back in 2012, I went on a 10-week mission trip to San Diego, California. It was life-changing, loved it, one of the best ever. And so during the week, we would... um, during the week, we would get normal jobs. So, you know, surf shops or, um, uh, or, or fast food or whatever, and we would work there, and we'd just build organic relationships with people we worked with. we get to share the gospel and disciple them, whatever. It was, it was great. But then on our off days, we weren't working because it was only part-time. We would go to college campuses in San Diego, and we would just share the gospel with college students. And it was like, that was the first time I had ever done that, but it was so helpful, so significant, amazing to see Jesus bear fruit there. And um, so that was during the week. But then during the weekend, we had a lot of free time. It was like flexible and movable and all that. And so um, we kind of adventured. I remember the one kind of rule they gave us was don't go to Tijuana. Like the one thing was just like, don't go to Tijuana. And so of course we wanted to go to Tijuana, but we didn't. I'll just say that we didn't to, you know, maybe you're surprised, but uh, we did hear about this waterfall. It was like this, um, this kind of hidden waterfall. And so we're like, we should go do that. So I got like, we, it was like eight of us guys, you know, typical 19 year olds. We get into two cars and we drive two hours away to this place. It was like more inland and we uh, drive to it, two-hour drive, and then it was a three-hour, like, super intense hike. And so we get there. We're all walking. We go through. After three hours, we finally find this waterfall, and it is one of the most beautiful things I'd ever seen in my life, like, picturesque, like, a, like a, from a movie. And so we're diving in, and we're hanging out, and we're enjoying it, and we're just, and we just had a blast. We're just, and we jumped right in with our clothes and everything. Like, it, like we didn't even, like, switch the trunks or whatever. We were just, like, boom. And it was, it was a dream. It was one of the most uh, crazy experiences, cliff jumping, whatever else. And so we get done um, hanging out there for a couple hours, then we hike three hours back, to our car. We get in our car for the two-hour drive back to Mission Beach. We get to our cars. We uh, had our cell phones in there. We didn't bring them with us, uh, or we didn't have service or something like that, but we realized that the leaders of the mission trip were freaking out. They were like, where are you? What have you been doing? Because we didn't tell it. And I think we honestly chose to ask for permission or ask for forgiveness, not permission thing, you know? We're like, let's just see what happens, you know? It's not Tijuana. We're okay. We didn't break that rule, you know? But they were so frustrated and so scared with us because it's their responsibility to protect us and to serve us and to care for us. And uh, our parents kind of entrusted them to, uh, or us to them in that season. And if we're a two-hour drive and a three-hour hike away and we get injured, cliff jumping, they can't do a single thing about it. You know, we're in the middle of nowhere. And so they were livid, rightfully so. And I remember we got back and we like all walked in and we got the typical, like, we're not mad. We're just disappointed, you know, like, and it's like, I'd rather be mad than disappointed, you know? Um, But I remember like in all the conversations, there was one single kind of line that was like, um, it was basically like, um, we're glad you're safe, but, and it was like, and the, it was just like, but the main emphasis of all of our conversation was like, how could you be so irresponsible to leave and not tell anybody? And do you know how serious this is? And there was this, we got the lecture, right? And I would do the same thing if I was a leader in the same context. You know, it makes sense what they were doing. But I remember thinking like, because of that whole conversation, it felt like a majority of what they were saying was emphasized in how we had gotten lost, but there was no expression of joy that we were actually safe. Like that we were actually, like maybe a relief, but no real emphasis on it. It was just 99%, you were lost, don't do it again, do you know how responsible it was? And 1%, oh yeah, and I'm glad you're back and I'm glad you're safe. And I remember thinking as like an early new Christian, is this how God feels? 
about me? Like, is this how God feels? Like, this is what he does when I mosey my way back after rebellion or whatever it might be. Is like, is he primarily concerned with making sure I know how far I was lost and how far I was gone? Or is, it, is he uniquely different where he does emphasize the fact that he's joyful, that I am safe and that I'm back? And I don't know if, you, or if you're thinking the same thing. You know, whatever your view of God is, whatever you feel, maybe like I was rebellious, you're like thinking I was rebellious this weekend and I'm coming in here and I feel like God's giving me that lecture not mad, I'm just disappointed. But thankfully, Luke, we have the whole Bible to tell us different, and we have Luke 15 this morning to particularly show us Jesus' very different reaction to finding lost sinners. So if you've got your Bible, hope you do, or your phone, you can open up Luke 15. We're literally just walking through the story. So there's no main, there's no real point, there's no structure, it's just verse by verse um, through Luke 15, 1 through 7. So um, as you guys are flipping there, Luke 15. I will, um, we'll start with, with verse one. Um, Luke 15, verse one. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. The tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. Now, I love this verse for a lot of different reasons. Uh, it's important to understand. It says tax collectors and sinners, two audience, and they're drawing near to hear Jesus. Now, tax collectors were like the most despised people in their time. They were Jewish people that worked for the Roman government to tax Jewish people unjustly, okay, and over. And so Jewish people that would tax and what they would do, and they were wealthy because what they would do is they would go in and they would tax above what they actually required and they would take the above. So it's like, well, hey, you owe, they'd say like, you owe $1,400 this year for taxes and uh, or dinar, I don't know how you'd say it, but let's just say for us. And it was only $1,000 that they had actually deserved to pay. And so they got paid through that upkeep. And so they take that 400 and keep it to themselves. So they are Jewish traders getting rich off of the um, basically stealing from other Jewish people. Everyone hated tax collectors, notorious people. And then it says that there were sinners that were also drawing to him too. And this is just referring to the general uh, marginalized outcasts of society. So you're thinking like alcoholics, prostitutes, other marginalized people, notorious kind of people that are like, oh, this person's bad or whatever. And one of the names that people consistently called Jesus was a friend of sinners. And they were saying it in a a derogatory way, like, oh, you're a friend of sinners. And I personally think it was Jesus's favorite nickname. Like, I think he was like, yeah, I am, you know, like that. Yeah, you're right. Like, I am a friend of sinners. Um, And, uh, but the crowd that Jesus loved hanging out with were people that were normally avoided by religious, the religious people. Like, Jesus magnetized sinners. Like, he was attracted, like, they were attracted to him and magnetized to him. All throughout his life, lost sinners came to Jesus, not because he catered to them, or that he compromised his holy message, but because he cared for them, because he loved them and they could feel that. And for a long time, I thought Christianity was just for good people. Like I thought this church, like, or a, a church, whatever Sunday morning gathering it was, was for people that had their lives together. That then I started to learn about Jesus through the Bible and I started to see the people he hung out with, the company he kept. And so if you're here and you don't think that you belong, because you're struggling or you've got some big skeletons in your closet or because you don't necessarily fit into the church scene, you would love hanging out with Jesus. And Jesus would love hanging out with you. 
you would fit right in with the people he hung out with. But not everyone liked this quality about Jesus. So look at verse two. So that's awesome, right? Friend of sinners, but verse two, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So Pharisees and scribes are the religious leaders of the day. They are the equivalent to modern pastors or priests or whatever. And they looked at Jesus hanging out with these notorious sinners and they grumbled. They were complaining. They're mad about it. They start to complain, wondering, how can a guy like Jesus, a guy who knows his Bible, a guy who seems holy, a guy who can teach the uh, Bible or whatever at the time, um, how can he hang out with such messy, dirty people? Like that, and, and they didn't like that. They complained about it. Jesus, you're going to get dirty by hanging around dirty people. Don't keep that company. And in response to their grumbling, in response to their apprehension of what Jesus was doing and who he was hanging out with, Jesus gives them the parable of the lost sheep, this parable, okay? So look at verses three and four. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one until, or the one that's lost until he finds it? Okay, so he gives us this parable, this story, to illustrate and help us understand what's true about lost people and what's true about God. And so Jesus sets the scene in verse four saying, there's a shepherd, he's doing his job, he's got a hundred sheep to care for and, and, and shepherd, and one of them gets away. What do you do if you lose them? If you ever spend time around sheep, which I haven't personally, but I've read a lot about it, you'll know they are not smart animals, okay? They wander and they get lost. They are incapable of finding their way back. And so they self-sabotage and they go deeper and deeper and deeper into their lostness. That's why they need a 24-hour full-time shepherd, okay? Sheep are great at getting lost. So among these 100 sheep, One goes off missing, does what sheep love to do, and the shepherd leaves the 99 and goes after it. So think about this. The the sheep that wandered off would have gone into all different types of territory. Some were far, some were dangerous, some were completely unknown and untraveled, but listen, there's no contingency of whether or not the shepherd goes after it. It just says, he just says, my sheep is lost and I'm gonna find it. Jesus is telling us this parable so that we better understand him and his heart. And if we're being honest, it's easy to think that in our rebellion, in our wandering, in our running away, if we look back to God, he's got his arms crossed, his divine arms crossed in disappointment that we did it again, that we did what he's tried so hard to prevent us from doing, and we just can't get our lives together. He's saying, well, you made your bed, sleep in it. You got yourself gone, get yourself back. You know, like, like this reality. But this story takes a sledgehammer to that. When we're lost, Jesus doesn't cross his arms and let us wander deeper. He goes after us. He doesn't care how far we've run away, how fast we're running, how long we've been running, how dark or dangerous of a place we've gotten ourselves into. He just goes after us. If my wife called me at any time, And I heard her quivering voice say, I can't find Graceland. You better believe that before she even finishes that sentence, I am in my vehicle driving as fast as I can to find my daughter. There is no other detail I would need to know. There was no other thing that could stop me. I would relentlessly go after finding my lost daughter. And there is more urgency, more passion, more love that wells up in Jesus when he sees his sheep are lost. And the fact that Jesus leaves the 99 for the one, 
to go after that one has to shock us. Like it has to provoke us a little bit to ask the question like, why doesn't God just relax and settle for the great numbers he has? Like, yeah, Ali was talking about the nations, but like there's 2 billion Christians around the world. Why doesn't God just see all of those Christians and go, that's pretty cool. That's a, that's a lot of people that are worshiping me and have understood my grace. Like, why go to such great lengths and take such great risks with such great urgency for just one sheep? And the answer is because that sheep matters to God, because that sheep is his. Listen, you matter to Jesus. Every single person in the world is broken. That's universally true. We're all guilty of sin. We constantly disobey God. We are the sheep that wanders away from the shepherd time and time again, every single person that's ever lived. But this week, I thought to myself, in light of reading this story, would Jesus have died for me if I was the only person he needed to die for? Again, it's metaphorical, it's not true, because everyone sins. But if you were the only person if you were the one and all the rest of us, the other 99 had stayed pure and clean and stayed in, but you were the one who left, only you, are you valuable enough to God for him to send his son to go after if it was just you? And the glorious answer in our Bible, in Luke 15, is that God sh shouts, yes. Yes, you are, and yes, he would. That's how much he cares about the one. Now, my favorite words in this passage are the end of verse four, and it says, or then, yeah, end, end of verse four, until he finds it. Those four words. It shows us the resiliency of Jesus. He will not stop searching until he finds his lost sheep. See, in the 1800s, uh, a man named Francis Thompson called Jesus the hound of heaven the hound of heaven. And Mercedes mentioned it in the, in the video, but we get this picture of Jesus running after us, of him chasing us down. And some of you are fast, totally get that, but I wanna let you know Jesus is faster and he is chasing after you. The hound of heaven is coming until he finds you. He is relentlessly and tirelessly searching. So let me just point this out. It doesn't say until he gets tired. It doesn't say until he realizes you're not interested in saving. He doesn't say until you mess up bad enough and he finally gives up and says, you are irredeemable, you're too far gone. It just says until he finds it. The hound of heaven will not stop. The hound of heaven will not slow down. The hound of heaven will not cease running after you until he finds you. If he has chosen you into his family, he will find you. Now look at verse five. And when he has found it, this is what he does once he finds it. He, um, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. This is one of my favorite pictures of Christianity, like no doubt. So when a sheep would get lost, even if they heard the shepherd whistle, call, I know sheep hears my voice and everything. Even if they heard the voice, they were so injured and they were so weak from their journey of getting lost that they couldn't even make their way back. So you can hear the right news, but you can't follow the right news. You can't, you can't get there. You can acknowledge that you're lost, but you don't have the power to get yourself back home. And so what a shepherd would have to do when he goes after and he finds his sheep would have to grab the sheep and throw it over his shoulders and carry it home. That's the picture. So I met a guy last week that hasn't placed his faith in Jesus yet. And he was like, man, I'll tell you what, Austin, I do believe in Jesus. No doubt about it. I do believe in Jesus. But, or I mean, sorry, in God. I believe in God for sure. But for Jesus specifically, he was saying, I don't, I can't fathom 
that he could love me and all my brokenness and all my messiness. I just can't, there's nothing else in the world like this that I would have this crazy, holy love that I've done nothing to earn. I just can't wrap my head around that. And I wanted to go, that's the point that you can't earn it, that you can't deserve it, that you've done nothing for it. That's the whole point of Jesus. You can't make your way to God. You need to be carried. That's why he had to come. If you could journey your way up the mountain into heaven by rules and morality, Jesus never would have to come and die. That's the whole point of the gospel. If you could save yourself, Jesus died for nothing. We're all the one that have left and run away. Jesus frees us up to say, I can't make it on my own, but by God's grace, I don't have to because Jesus came after me. See, there's this massive misconception that God will love me when. When we fix ourselves up, when we stop doing this and start doing that, when we get our church attendance right, when we get our giving right, when we finally get into a city group or whatever else, or finally read our Bible or make it through, God will finally love me when. But if you look at this story, you have to see that God doesn't love a fixed up version of ourselves. He doesn't love a stayed in, I really kept it together. No, he goes after us when we are lost. He demonstrates his love in that we're still sinners. He died for us. He finds us. He throws us over his shoulders and he rejoices. So City Light, picture this. Like genuinely just for a second, stop and picture this. Can you imagine the joy of that lost sheep on the shoulders of the shepherd walking home? You know what I mean? Like genuinely just on it. This is the posture of the Christian life. You, you're, you're the sheep, and, and on the way back, you're walking, the shepherd's going, and you're like, I can't believe that I, I was that far gone. I, I, I can't believe that I, that I did that and, and got myself into that. I can't believe how dark my life got. I can't believe how lost I was. But thank God that the shepherd came and found me. And what's God's response? What's the shepherd's heart doing when he's carrying that lost sheep? Joy, that a light of God is finding lost sheep and bringing them home. Look at verses six and seven. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there'll be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. The shepherd isn't ashamed of the lost sheep. He's not going, man, yeah, oh, let's just say hey, you, you get in, but you just, some of us think there's like a back door in heaven that like people just squeak into it. And it's like, hey, just go there, get your life together. And then once you're kind of cleaned up, then you can come out with the rest of us and come to the table. No, it's like, he's like, we're here. Look who's, look who's back. This is amazing. Jesus goes after, throws a huge party and he goes, actually, there's more joy in heaven. One lost sheep comes home. When one lost sheep is carried back by Jesus, all of heaven erupts in a party. So remember, this story is in response to the religious leaders that grumbled about Jesus being a friend of sinners of notorious sinners. Jesus is telling these guys that the joy of heaven isn't this accumulative, moral, disciplined people who've kept their lives together and needed no grace. The joy of heaven is people that know they've blown it, humble sheep that have been carried back by the sovereign shepherd, and the only way back is Jesus. And so if you've placed your faith in him, if you're like, man, I'm trusting Jesus, I'm a Christian, have you started to drift away and think that you were the one that made your way to God? Have you thought that that's how you enter? Is that the way you tell your story? Have you forgotten how far Jesus had to go to rescue you? I pray that you'd be humbled and encouraged by this story to remember the hound of heaven finding you when you were far off. And if you haven't placed your faith in Jesus, he is pursuing you right now. 
The hound of heaven is chasing you down. Don't you believe the lie that God couldn't save you? Don't believe the lie that God couldn't love a person like you. Don't believe the lie that God couldn't forgive the things you've done. Jesus' cross, his death, his resurrection are way bigger than the things you've done. He's running towards you, and he will not stop until he finds you. And if you finally want to let the good shepherd Jesus throw you over his shoulders, it's offered through free faith. Like, step down off the throne of your life and crown Jesus the rightful king and Lord of your life. City Light, in John 10, 11, to finish, Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays his life down for his sheep. So listen, 2,000 years ago, Jesus laid his life down by dying on the cross for us and paying for our sins. So listen to this. Before putting us on his shoulders, Jesus had to put our sin on his innocent shoulders. Before bringing us home, Jesus had to leave his home. Before bringing us back to life, Jesus had to lose his life. And 2,000 years later, this Jesus is still ruling and still reigning and still building his church. And we get to see other sheep be found and rescued and carried back. And so would we spend the rest of our lives like those joyful sheep on the shoulders of our shepherd? Would we constantly remember how far Jesus went to rescue us? And would we invite more lost sheep to meet our loving shepherd. And let me just say this, our elders were hanging out and we're talking about, we wanna plant a church here and we wanna do this and we wanna send missionaries to Japan and all this stuff. And Jared Freilich, who's been an elder for three years and just was transitioning off, was like, man, that's all awesome. But like, we can never lose sight of the lost sheep as a church. Like we might wanna talk about God doing big things and all that, but all that stuff happens by one sheep at a time getting rescued by the shepherd. You know, and so just as a church, I don't care what, I don't care if we, we, we never plant a church. If our church, would, I, would it, just that we would have this deep sincerity that we collectively know the shepherds running after the lost sheep and we would too. And we would know one by one, Jesus is rescuing lost sinners to himself. That's the joy of heaven. And that should be the joy of our church. Amen. Let's pray.